the sticks and taps. Where we're talking hockey, a bit of the Irish crack, and raising pints. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cupboard, hanging out down here in New York in the United States of America. Pulling up to the bar, sitting next to me, drinking mate from the great white north in Canada. Somewhere around Ottawa, I believe. Mr. Liam McGuire, bartender, two points and four shots over here for me and me, mate. How's it going, brother? How's she going, Polly? Yes, sir. Boy, we got some uh, we got some frost here right now this morning, and uh, my golf game's gonna be delayed, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is a professional golfer or a professional drinker like yourself do? Who's going golfing? Do on yes. a cloudy day, waiting to get on the on the pitch. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's 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 absolutely beautiful out. There's not a cloud in the sky, but it's uh, it's cold. I think it went down to uh, zero Celsius or minus one last night. So a lot of frost on the ground. So we've got what's called, which is quite common for this time of year, is a frost delay. And uh, frost delay. I'm scheduled to play at uh, 10 to 12. And right now it's scheduled to tentatively, tentatively, I must qualify this to be my last golf game of the season. Now, oh. fortunately, Paulie, I have managed to squeeze in 85 other games so this would be 86 if Woo. i play today which i will and if i don't play anymore <clears throat> then it'll be uh i'll finish at 86 which is an inordinately high total for me largely because i've hardly been able to work for 19 months because yeah, <clears throat> of the pandemic so my gigs and um and a number of other things which are just very 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 slowly starting to come back around um, has uh, has certainly curtailed a lot of what I, I typically do to make a living. So as a result, I uh, just decided to uh, go golfing almost every day. Not a bad, <laughs> not a bad alternative, man. You know, if you can swing it, it's good stuff. Yeah. So look, can absolutely. I, uh, if I want to get out of something, can I use that frost delay excuse? Can I, can I use Yeah, that? it works everywhere. <laughs> everywhere there there isn't anything that it's not applicable for i mean try it with your wife she'll understand (laughs) (laughs) i will but i'm gonna put my old jaffa helmet on before i I do that yeah yeah you may want to grab the butch goring special i'm not sure if the jaffa the gretzky jaffa will protect you but uh actually come to think of it i don't know how goring's protected him either he started wearing it i think in midget or something but uh you couldn't catch butch he was too fast yeah exactly what a prince of a man eh? he is though and uh anytime i've had a chance to meet him always enjoy talking to him he's a hockey lifer and such a fantastic player in the NHL trade deadline, essentially starting in and around his deal from LA to the Islanders all those years ago in 1980. And, and then of course the next year he won the Conn Smythe trophy as well. He's part of that drive for five and four cups, five finals. And my goodness, he was such a, such a stalwart part of that team. Yeah. Anyway, the helmet. (laughs) Yeah. You may want to uh, put on um, possibly a Shield and or a cage. I'm not sure. <laughs> Never met your wife, but if, she, if she's hanging with you, buddy, she's, she's Sicilian. Pretty tough. She's Sicilian. <laughs> she's Sicilian. You're screwed. Yes. I would do. I don't think the helmet's going to save you. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, Butchie's a no. Butchie's a huge music fan. Uh, you know, I got to know him over the years. Obviously, doing a, a show with him uh, 
before obviously the the new ownership and everything's come in here too. But uh, he's a huge Beatles fan, um, a huge uh, Creedence fan as well too. He, he used to tell he awesome. told a couple stories uh, when he was playing for the Kings. You know he loved it. He said he had this Jeep, and he would just run up and down you know Ventura Highway and all that other stuff. And when yeah. he played at the Kings, yeah, he really loved it. Yeah, it's a trip. So it's uh it's good stuff. I want to ask you real it, quick, uh, hey, hey, do 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 you know that song Ventura Highway by America? Yeah, Are you kidding me? Come on, man. Yeah, Love you know what, man? That that's song. that's an awesome song. Yeah, that's an awesome song. That's that that song. Uh, well, I used it in a video that I did at our for our elementary school reunion, and oh, I wow. I used that song. I mean, I, it came out when I was you know when I was in elementary school, so it fit the video that I was putting together for our classmates we did it was a 50th for the school but it was big for our graduating class our class was the first class to go right through from grade one to grade eight in those days so I, I used that song at the end of it and uh, uh that you know that's they were they were all stationed overseas right I don't know if you know their backstory so they were the children of of American uh servicemen who were stationed overseas in England I didn't know that and and uh they used to go down to the jukebox that was at the uh, common the compound there where you would go for for your meals and and general consorting and whatnot because you know they were they were stationed in a in an area there where it was all Americans and they would go in there and the boys the three of them would say well let's 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 find American music because all they had was was you know all the English music which was pretty damn good you know Stones and Beatles <laughs> yeah. and Led Zeppelin coming in and all the rest but but they said where's Where's the American bands? Where's the American band? So they would look for American bands. So when they started jamming and everything, that's why they called themselves America. And then they, they, uh, you know, that they were, they, they tell the story about how one of them, I forget which one it was, was traveling on the Ventura Highway and they got a flat tire and the dad was changing the tire. So they were out by the side of the road. And that's why he talks about looking at the clouds and has some of the phrase, different phrasing in the uh, in the lyrics and whatnot but but then when they strung that beat together and then released it i mean it, it was a massive hit then and it still gets a lot of airplay today it's uh it's i i love that i love that song man that's one of my favorite songs of all time wow. all time venture highway by america yeah they're great band great, great a lot of great songwriting uh, i saw a documentary on them i didn't i didn't get that part of the story but um you know that that whole you know quote unquote yacht rock theme that's going on. We we do a lot of that here uh, in New York on Long Island, playing a lot of that stuff. And you do, you know, eh? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Give me Stephen Bishop, Steely Dan, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Toto. Yeah. I mean that's. I grew up with that stuff, man. I mean. Yeah. I got yeah, memories yeah. of my uh, my my pops and mom taking us on vacations and and uh, but the best me- you know and with the radio on the AM radio whatever you know here we have uh, in New York the old WCBS FM and and all the light FM stuff but the the best story of, of of being educated through all that great music that I grew up as a kid in the in the 70s obviously um was my daddy worked in New York City uh, New York City hospital uh, he's an HVAC engineer and they had a little brown you know just the typical old workshop radio Right. And it was just left in the corner. I'll never forget it was on top of a file cabinet. And 24-7, it was on. Yeah. Just quietly enough in the back so you could have conversation, do the job and all that stuff. Yeah. And all those great hits from back then. And, and and that station you would rotate not only these, you know, America. Like, they're not one-hit wonders, but that, that kind of genre. But then there was yeah. Mot- Motown in there. 
Uh, you yeah. know, and, and there's all Johnny Cash and great Elvis. Tunes. Yeah, great, great mix of stuff, yeah. man. I mean, you just <clears throat> so much good music. You're right. There was a crossover there. It wasn't segregated then in terms of country or classic. Well, classic rock. They were they were they were making the classic rock at yeah. that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it just it just all played right on the same station. It's, I can when as you as you describe that radio, I can see it in my mind. Right. I can see. Yeah. It. I can see it. I could close my eyes and see it in my mind. We had it. We had ours in our kitchen table, or not in behind the kitchen, like our kitchen table. Or the radio was over there, and you get up in the morning, your boys getting ready for school, and the radio was always on. CFRA was was our station that everybody listened to here in Ottawa. Ken the General Grant was a morning DJ and here forever on the air, and probably the best numbers of any DJ ever in Ottawa history, and and uh, everybody listened to him. And and the uh, same thing. I mean, those songs, they just they're the ones you heard. You heard it on the station, and you just you never forget them, eh? When you're 10, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15. That music, it stays with you forever. Yeah. Well, it must be because you sing half of it, sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I always say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be 52 in November. Pop. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I always say I'm, I'm like the kids today and my kids, my daughter's 12. So, you know, the, the iPods and the digital music and the music today is so so electronic it's so you know whatever but yeah. i always say i'm i'm so grateful that i was a 70s kid yeah uh and in the early 80s obviously growing up with vinyl eight tracks cassette yeah. tapes and yeah. that um laundry list of amazing artists and i have a question for you i want to throw back to you which i'm leading into this that i play like, I performed last night to do solo shows, and I played a great Irish pub here in Rockaway Beach, New York, here, uh, called Jameson's Pub. No and, way. Uh, yeah, it's my, um, the down here in, uh, in, in the Rockaway Beach is here. Um, it's west of South Shore here, where I live on Long Island. Um, uh, you know, there's a couple of great places there. Um, uh, the Harbor Light as well, too. Uh, and a lot of these, uh, after Sandy hit here in New York, um, those yeah. that that the whole area got uh, torched. I don't know if you remember the stories. All the houses burnt down. The whole community yeah. got burned down. So yeah. they were lucky. They rebuilt. So anyway, they rebuilt those places. But it's a it's a great Irish American working class. A lot of cops and firefighters live down there and stuff. Really, it's a great okay. mix too. I mean, I'm, I'm setting up yesterday and I see a, a couple of young uh, Hasidic Jewish kids walking by. There's there's so much diversity in the culture down there. But it's primarily yeah. an Irish type <laughs> vibe down there. But um, but I sing all these songs. And th- those are the songs that I grew up with, and I weave in and out of Van Morrison and the Eagles yeah. and Crosby, Stills, Nash yeah. and Young, and uh, you know, and then eighty stuff like Sting yeah. and everything else. And like I said, that's all still from from those days. And I've been doing this uh, for a long time. What's been amazing, Liam, in the last few years uh, doing the solo stuff is nobody, even the young kids. There's no request for any kind of new music because there really isn't any new pop radio or great, you know. Right. That's the, on the radios, and it's amazing how, to this day in 2021, I can play three hours of music last night, and it's from the early 70s to maybe the you know the early 2000s, and that's it, and that's wow. my block. And yeah, everybody loves shit. I sang Frank Sinatra last night. You know, what I mean, it's just like it's like what, which which song? Oh, luck be a lady, baby. <laughs> See what I do at my shows is uh, I play ninety ninety nine percent acoustic, obviously, but uh, yeah. I have a, I have my iPhone there with me, and, I, and to give my fingers a rest, I'll, I'll throw in a a couple of backing track songs. 
Okay. And uh, yeah. yeah, I knocked him out. I had a buddy come up to me. Not a buddy. A guy came That's up to so me afterwards. Cool, man. And he was like, dude. He's like, Frankie is is back, baby, you know, <laughs> but that's the, um, you know, like I said, I, and I, th- uh, I, I can. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, my father loved all that stuff, you know? So, uh, it's just right. great. And so, um, the only reason I have that, I think my, my vocal ability from my, my, and this gets back into an Irish thing too. We grew up with the sing song, you know, the sing song right. in Ireland is huge. At the Christmas time or any at the pubs and everybody, you could sit down. And I guarantee anybody who hasn't been to Ireland yet to have a, a drink in a pub or whatever. And my, my, you know my cousin Johnny's a crooner over there, too. And my Uncle Christy yeah. up in uh, New England, same thing, crooner, too. You get around and you have your pints. And one after one, go on, give us a song, Liam. Go on, Paul, give us a song. And you do it a cappella yeah. and you sing it one way. And, and it's, uh, it's a great thing. And I, I can... Um, I'm blessed because I was raised around great singers in my family. Yeah, uh, my uncle Arthur, my uncle Billy, they were entertainers. My uncle Jimmy were all entertainers in, in Ireland stuff, and my mom sang, and my dad too. He loved Elvis, all that other crap. But that's why I think you know I've been able to be successful too, and, and play in a small, yeah, a place like that uh, last night, enjoy myself, uh, and amongst uh, in different age groups, different genres, and that's yeah. because. I was a '70s kid and an early '80s kid, and it was—it's uh, great, man. And, you know, it's just great memories, and and it starts with that little radio man in the corner, man. Yeah, little dust ab- on ab- it, absolutely. radio dial, some paint marks on it, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It comes full circle. <laughs> so, look, I want to ask you, man. So, I we're we're just real quick before we get into the hockey here. Um, you know, you you're talking about like you haven't been able to work here, uh, you know, for obviously since the pandemic and everything. You know, I'm, we're back to work here. You know, we've been uh, down here in the tri-state area, even the northeast, most of the country right now, too. And, um, you know, myself personally, I just got my second boost. You know, a lot of people down here are vaccinated, and we're really kind of getting yeah. back to back to normal in terms of the social life here. Restaurants, pubs, drinking, hanging yeah. out, social gatherings, yeah. and everything else. Uh, concerts, me, myself, too. Um, you know, we just booked our, another big show, 1600 people will be playing for here in January. So we're, we're, it's full circle for me now, this show that we got, uh, and you know, coming up in, in January is, is, is full circle for the January before COVID hit. So we're, I'm, I'm and to the point where I can say, Liam, we're almost like we're back to normal and I've already mm-hmm. booked almost 25, close to 30 shows for next season already next year. Wow. Awesome. So. What's going on in your neck of the woods as far as you guys getting somewhat back there? I'm like, I guess I'm, I'm, I hate to be ignorant here or whatever, but I'm not really sure. I'm kind of yeah, curious no, to why you guys gotcha. aren't back to, to normal. Yeah. No, listen, very quickly on that. Uh, we're close too. I mean, as you know, cause we talked about it last week, uh, Liam's, the, the, the restaurant that bears my name is open. They just announced, I believe it was, I think 48 hours ago that there now are no more limits in restaurants so it's unlimited you can come in and and uh any any number of people and and sit down i mean mask in mask out but once you sit you're good and uh uh it's so that's great i mean the restaurant's been open for three months and changed so i'm thankful for that uh, because i do have a business relationship with them and very proud of liam's and we'll be 19 years in february i have booked a couple of events already for next summer so that's starting to come around Biggest thing for me is that I, you know, 19 months ago, right when this thing hit, as you know, you and I have talked about it, I, I, I did a, t- uh, what was, what it ended up being two separate auditions over two days, 
to get a new gig for me at uh, at what is known here in Ottawa area as the Rideau Carlton Raceway, which has been purchased by the Hard Rock Cafe, which is an international brand name uh, with a head office in Florida, and they of course have a have a have a Canadian chapter and and uh, of where their head office is in Toronto, and they have bur- purchased this huge raceway complex in sort of the south end of the city of Ottawa, which is actually pretty close to me. I can drive there in less than 15 minutes. And and uh, I got this gig and haven't been able to start it <clears throat> because they're just coming out of the pandemic where it's such a large building, Polly, and they're gauging the people coming back in before they start saying, yeah, you're back, you're back, you got hired for this, we need you, we need you know lights, camera, whistles, uh, action, the whole nine yards. They're just not there yet, so I've been held up and and waiting. Uh, the rest of the city here, it's pretty much green light. Like you can go anywhere. I mean, we're mask in, mask out everywhere, but you can go like grocery stores, uh, any any convenience, any type of outlet. Uh, now, as you know, the the numbers now are unlimited again, and and we're 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 coming up for air in a big way. We're yeah. in a in a big big way. Cases are are down to next to nothing, and they have been for a long time, and. And uh, and we'll just keep rocking every I don't know anybody personally who's not double vaccinated. <laughs> All my friends are. And yeah. I don't have anybody holding out or trying to say it's, you know, not for them or this, that and the other. Like and my mom from my mom, my roommate, everybody, my my family, we're every all my friends. So we're we're ready to go. I mean, it's just for me personally. Yeah, I made that statement because uh, everything was shut down, including the restaurants here for uh, an inordinate length of time as they were yeah. for you guys. Just for us, I think it was a little longer. And and, uh, you know, so <clears throat> that was it's just been it's been the biggest kick in the you know what uh, for, for me, for me personally. Like you're an entertainer for uh, the entertainment business up here has has, has been decimated and is just just coming up for air really yeah. the last six, eight weeks to be perfectly honest. So uh, if, if, if this thing continues to roll over because we're so close to 2022 now and we can get firmly back on track and events like I speak, I do so many events out in, uh, especially next year, the 50th anniversary of the summit series. There's, there's so many things already in the works. I'm already being contacted this, that, and the other, do some things like I could end up getting four five, six, seven separate speaking engagements from that which yeah that's all good it's a livelihood but I mean just to be able to go and participate and and talk about this incredible seminal moment to celebrate a 50th anniversary of anything so you want all these things to be able to go ahead and it looks like they will be at this point you know barring anything unforeseen but we've been late to the dance man yeah and uh, I guess that's just precaution just the way Mm -hmm. it is I guess in Canada specifically Ottawa but, um, you know, you get into semantics on that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the reality of where I've been for 19 months. Hence why I'm playing my 86th round of golf today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good luck today there, mate. Enjoy it. Swing them yeah. long and hard there. All right, so let's put a little song here on the jukebox and steer into some hockey talk. I tell you what, pal. Have your Montreal Canadiens turned their season around last night? No! Oh! Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> going all the way down. All they got to do is play this in the in the locker room, buddy. Oh! The guy's like they Gallagher. Should. Gallagher put like the that. puck in the net. <laughs> who's who's playing that? Oh, that's just, uh, it's just some, uh, you know we do the right thing here. 
We, that's some uh, rights music that I purchased. It's custom. This is custom oh. sticks and tap stuff. Hey. Just for you, buddy. Hey, man. I love it. I may have to get into the whiskey early. <laughs> if you want, we can write some lyrics to it if you want. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm a, I'm a good writer, and I bet you are. So yeah. we can probably, you know, we need to sit down with a bottle of whiskey, and once we finish it, we'd probably have a, a number one best hit, bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or we'd be two humps on the floor. We're yeah, truly coming out of our mouths. That's probably more likely the scenario. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Habs last night uh, played their best game of the season. People go, wait a minute, beat Detroit 6-1. They, that was not a 6-1 game. Montreal's defense was horrid that night against Detroit, and and they got some puck luck. And, and uh, um, you know, Bertuzzi didn't make the trip because he wasn't double vaccinated, and, and so you're flying without your number one guy. So that broke up the number one line, and the Habs took advantage of it. Then they rolled right into Seattle, got absolutely waxed. And then you're going to San Jose, you'd started the season four and two, and you're figuring this is going to be a slaughter. And uh, instead, you could tell five, six minutes in, the Habs looked really good. I mean, I, I watched so much hockey that I, I, I swear I could tell. I could tell how a team's going to do, in most cases, they could still lose the game. But just how, they're, just how you're breaking out. Like if you can't string two passes together and get through the neutral zone and either on the your second, third, or fourth foray into the offensive zone, do it with puck control, it's going to be a long night. And last night, the Habs had their best passing game of this young season, and they, uh, and, and they rolled. But read the story with Jake Allen. He was kicking yeah. out BBs, 45 saves, first star. You know, he just can't do it all the time, but every now and then he can. I mean... You know, he does have a Stanley Cup on his resume, albeit as a backup to Bennington, as we know. And and he's played some great games at a bunch of times in his career. But he's not a starter. He's been forced into the role. And last night, he just, he, he was scintillating the net. And, you know, the Canadians had 31 or 32 shots themselves. It wasn't like, uh, we're not talking Colorado-St. Louis here last night, where the Blues had their first loss and the Avalanche literally just steamrolled them in that game. And and it was wasn't even close. The Montreal Canadiens were full measure for the win, not just because of Jake Allen. He was the number one star, but it wouldn't be a scenario where you go Jake Allen, Jake Allen, Jake Allen. He had a number of Montreal Canadians. You mentioned Brendan Gallagher got off the snide. I mean, they they scored a power play goal. Their penalty killing now is not allowed a power play goal for two consecutive games. They didn't allow one against Seattle in that loss either, <clears throat> and that's a step in the right direction. But at the end of the day, you're two and six. You got uh, back-to-backs here on the weekend, L.A. and Anaheim. Afternoon starts, always a little different, but uh, got to be encouraging because you got a few guys off the snide and uh, got a goal, and and you did you, you scored four, even though one was an empty netter. Allen played great, and you got a win. But, you know, if they don't string a few together, it's, it's still going to be a long season, and I, I think with that type of start, it probably is still going to be the case. However... L.A. and Anaheim are not world beaters here, and we're not talking 07 or 012 or 14 uh, Anaheim Ducks or L.A. Kings here. So uh, that Montreal should be competitive, definitely against L.A., and then back-to-backs are back-to-backs. So you do what you do with that on Anaheim on Sunday. But for any half fans listening, uh, uh, you got to be encouraged by what you saw last night. That was a solid effort. They only laid down really probably the last six, seven minutes, eight minutes maybe. They played kitty bar the door and and, and – uh, and, and um, San Jose ran off a, a, a long string of shots on net, and that's where Allen really made some unbelievable saves. But, yeah, it's a good win for the Habs, and 
I still think the Sharks aren't aren't looking too bad either. They didn't. They they were a little. They they might have taken Montreal maybe a little lightly, even though it's early in the season. It's impossible not to see what's going on around you, you know, on the ice. As we're about to talk to Chicago, who obviously ignored what was going on around them eleven years ago. But I mean, in Montreal's case, they uh, they may have their press clippings such as they were coming in. San Jose may have. May have said, ah, you know what, we just bang one in here early and these guys will fold like a cheap suit. Problem was, they didn't bang one in early. You know, Montreal <laughs> did, and uh, that gave the Habs some confidence. And they played really, really solid, Pauly, uh, through that first 40, 45 minutes of that game. They had a little bit of a lull towards the end of the second, but I'll tell you what, man, that was uh, by far their best overall performance of this early season in Game 8. Led by Jake Allen, for sure, but also a number of other guys uh, looked really good last night, too. Except for one guy who I'm really worried about, and that's Jeff Petrie. His head is in the clouds. I said this to my mother last night when we were watching the game. I'm really worried about him. He is Carey Price's best friend. His statement the day after the news came out about Carey saying that I ride to the rink every day with this guy. Our wives are together all the time. I did not know. And then we watched the game up here. The Canadian broadcast uh, is on uh, TSN. And Pierre Lebrun in the first intermission was just just to sort of doing a recap and talking about Carey Price and the situation. And he said, uh, you know, what I'm told, and this guy's pretty plugged in. Mm-hmm. He said, what I'm told is when they announced to the team, that Carey was done, minimally 30 days and more than likely longer, mm-hmm. that you could have heard a pin drop in the room. Like, this is the thing, right? You say, oh my God, the Canadians went to the Stanley Cup final. How are they sucking like this? But it's not even close to the same team. Yeah, it, It's just it the stupidity of people mixed with their agendas and their hate is so rampant. On social media, it you you have to. It really is incumbent on anybody and everybody who spends any length of t- length of time on whatever platform may be your go to, which a lot is Twitter, but wherever it is, you've got to be able to cut through the incessant, gutless, anonymous puke bullshit that is that is spewed out by so many mm-hmm. because that's a testament to their sad, sorry ass lives. Yeah. And when you look at the Habs and their incredibly bad start, almost historic. And you look at the tangible and intangible reasons. It makes a lot of sense. And I'm watching Jeff Petrie play Polly. I watch, as you know, every single second of every Montreal game. And I have for, Many, 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 many years. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, this guy, this, this isn't just physical with him. I have legit concerns about Jeff Petrie and his play last night even is, is, I mean, he made some plays. This isn't just a guy who in the panic moment, who you would not expect at his age, is fumbling the puck. This is something else that's going on. And I think he is tremendously affected by what's going on with Carey, has our number of others on the team, and they're just starting to come up for air, find a way around it. We'll see how the rest of this road trip goes. 
and uh, and 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 go from there. But um, boy, oh boy, man, we're in a different world, eh, brother? I'll tell you, things have changed. You're talking about all the music and all their great youth memories. I'm older than you by ten years, but that's not like twenty or thirty years. So we chewed a lot of that same dirt, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially that decade of the 70s into the early 80s. Yeah, I was going in my 20s. You were still, you know, in a kid. But, I mean, a decade before, I was right where you would have been. So, I mean, we chewed that same dirt and 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 the, that that foundation that it gave us. Now you look at what's going on today and what, what our children have to deal with today, what our world and society mm-hmm. have to deal with today. Because if there was one thing, seemingly anyway that was solid where you could go for refuge it was sports yeah you could turn the tv on or turn the radio on or go to an event and just for two or three hours not worry or whatever not worry about anything other than cheering on your favorite player or team get emotionally involved and intrinsically involved in what that meant to you as a fan and now it's like what's going on with this guy and what happened here with this guy and what's going on behind the scenes here and there's racial allegations here and you know sexual allegations here and and bullying here and 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 misappropriation of funds there and cheating here and I mean it's just what a world you know so I tell you I said it to you last week Polly circle the wagons you know around your family your closest friends and whatnot and you just take care of business, and then you move out from there. Whatever else is happening out here, like if I if I can have a direct effect on it and help somebody, I will. But, I mean, short of that, Godspeed. Godspeed to you, because what can I do? But if I can do something, if I hear something, if I see something, I'll say something. Yeah. And I'll do something. But right now, man, I just told you, I have barely worked for 19 months. Mm-hmm. Like, just, like, think about that, you yeah. know? I mean, it's been devastating. Not kidding you. All right, so I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not uh, one of the uh, one of one of a, one of a North America's top ten richest families here. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, look, it's not quite the situation where I got to cash in the empty so we're buying a loaf of milk and bread. But I mean, it's uh, it's uh, or I should say a loaf of bread and milk. But uh, it's 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 definitely look, I, been a tough go, man. Yeah, no, I I, I know exactly where you're coming from. And this gets into, you know, all of us as human beings as far as how we handle ourselves through difficult times, you know? So everybody's struggle is different, but equally the same in a lot of ways because, you know, um, what's going on in your life is is different from what's going on in my life. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm blessed, you know, but I have my days, you know? I've, I've you know... I get depressed, and I think, you know, the things I get depressed about are sometimes, like I said, it's just a whack in the head. And all I have to do is think about my kids, my wife, and I snap out of it. You know what I'm saying? It's more yeah. of a, sometimes it's more for me, it's like a, a personal, a professional thing where you want to kind of succeed a little more. Or, you know, you you, uh, you know, you bring up the, the modern times today with social media and everything else, and you see, you might see so, certain other people, you know, maybe having more success where they're, with their messages or their the way they present things are just, I don't get it. It's a, I, I, you know, it's just those are just little things. But ah, you know, yeah. when, well, a lot of that, as we've learned, come to know, is <clears throat> is maybe somewhat false too, right? I mean, I think a lot of people post stuff, and you get the uh, 
impression. I could, I'm probably in that category, you know, because well, I'm not certainly not going to go on there and post anything uh, but negative. I I, I'm not particularly talking about posting. I think you can kind of look at, you know, you know, just, um, I think all of us, you know, could close our eyes and envision whether it's me playing in front of 50,000 people right. as opposed to playing in front of 60 people last night. It's those little right. things. Like I'm, but I'm blessed. Like I'm lucky. I mean, I get to play in front of big crowds and small crowds, but I'm obviously yeah. what I love the success of like a guy like Dave Matthews or a David Grohl or something like that. You know, sure. those guys are the same age as me and they had these different paths and they became these incredible, you know, success stories. But even the guys with the greatest success have the problems themselves. Sure. We, we, we've, yeah. you know, and we're going to get into this with Chicago and everything else like that. I mean, uh, even the, 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 the kid from Lincoln Park, you know, who took his life. And he, yeah. I, I found out he was, he was sexually abused as a kid. That never leaves you, you know? Right. And getting back to what you said about Carrie and Petrie here, right? Think, everybody should think of, think of your own mate, like your best mate or some of your best buds. And if yeah. one of your best buds is going <clears> through a tough time, you know, it, it will affect you, especially if he's somebody that you hang out with all the time. And all of a sudden you're yep. not hanging out with him. Or you, don't, you, you can't communicate with him anymore. Or you can't help him, you know? Yeah. So what Carrie's going through and Peach is going through too, and I'm glad you brought it up too because I think it relates to all of us, um, you know, here in life too. Forget about the sports shit, you know? And you, you, we can steer into Chicago right now and Kyle Beach yeah. and everything else. And, and, you know, this comes down to accountability and advocacy and and i mean there's so much to to get into this and i i know we're we're we know what's some of the things that have fallen here I, i'm gonna bounce this back to you liam you you start us off here and, and then uh we'll, we'll go back and forth a little bit about the whole thing with with chicago and the investigation and and, and how things are starting to fall out for the uh yeah Black i i think giving it some thought because i knew obviously we were definitely going to to discuss it we're <clears throat> we're, we're probably in terms of doing anything public as we do here with sticks and taps we're probably the last one to the dance given when the news broke and everything like that but i don't think it behooved us to jump on and try and do an earlier show or anything where no. i knew we were going to cover it off so i'm happy to share my thoughts on it now but i did it did give me a couple of days to reflect on it and give it some more thought and i, I wanted to start sort of with an analogy that's sort of in the vein that leads up to some of this stuff and that's bullying because bullying has really become on the social conscious kind of like in the last 20 years, it's gone to another level, especially with social media, because so, some stories have gone public and, and, and it could be of a little kid. It could be, could be of an adult, could be something professional, personal, whatever, but stories are out there. And the whole thing and the message that I feel that's really changed about bullying is, <clears throat> is, is believability and, and accountability. It's where, when those that are told that there's an in, that's been an incident or a situation are now believing that person, whereas decades ago, you know, whether you or I were told confront the bully, punch him in the nose, you know, mm -hmm. or or whether all the other things that we were told as children or or may have done for our children, now it's a case where. Uh, when it goes to, I think I'm not saying universally across all 8 billion people on the world or whatever we are, but the, the majority, it seems to me, the message has changed where when it comes to the authoritative figure or somebody in support, 
that there's been a bullying situation, that person is now being believed. Conversely, when you go to somebody and say, hey, either you are or someone you know or are related to is doing the bullying, now that's being taken seriously. Whereas in the past, that was, I think, a lot of times dismissed, find your way around it, do this, do that. Come on, it's not that big a deal. We all went through it, yada, 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 you know, sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you get into the Chicago scenario. And I think the message that's come has all of these men have been, you know, in succession here almost, certainly recently here in the last few days with Stan Bowman and Joel Quenville and today uh, Shovel Day Off have been summarily dismissed or, you know, given the opportunity to resign. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing the quote unquote here. They were basically told, get the hell out of Dodge. But the message now that's that's coming out of all of this is, I think, anyway, <clears throat> I heard it. I can't lay claim this. I heard it from a lawyer who was on Ottawa radio here, guesting with another lawyer, Eric Macromella. He had on a, a Mr. Gilhooley. I can't remember his first name, but he is a he is a, um, he was sexually abused by Graham James. This is all public uh, when he was 14 years old for junior hockey. For three or four years, uh, Graham James convicted pedophile, right? And so Gil Hooley went on to become a lawyer. And, and God, he made such a good statement here, Paulie, that I'm going to paraphrase it here sure. and, 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 and bring it out here. I listened to the show. It's all, By the way, anybody listening, you can go back, find it. Just go to Eric Macromella on Twitter, and it, it'll be posted there. Eric does an incredible job. He's on a number of different uh, sports outlets as a, as a legal analyst. And Ottawa guy here and a family guy. And I know him a little bit. And um, anyway, Mr. Gilhooley said, do you really think that any of those, I believe it was seven men from Chicago who were in that meeting on May 23rd, 2010, as they were celebrating winning the Stanley Cup just 10 or 12 days later and parading around and, and Brad Aldrich was there that they really knew or believed in their heart that Aldridge had physically, sexually abused um, Beach and, and, and the other fellow who's, who's, who's anonymous at this point, right? The other John Doe too or whatever, whatever the situation was. He said, do you believe in their heart that they, that they what man, what person would have embraced anybody if they really believe that and I thought what what a way to look at it so you know he was saying like okay they had this meeting May 23rd the allegation goes into the meeting it's bandied about amongst the seven eight of them whatever it was would have ultimately stopped when Stan Bowman said okay I've got this I'm taking it to McDonough and he goes to McDonough, and everybody leaving that meeting would have gone, all right, uh, we got the Stanley Cup final coming up, so we got other things. We got our own jobs here to worry about. And uh, I mean, the uh, beach is 6'3, 210. So what, what, what do you do? Smack them on the ass or something? You know what I mean? They're going, probably like just totally dismissed it, right? Mm-hmm. And they go about their business. We all know the story from there, how it just gets left swinging in the wing, in the wind. And you've got, Young Mr. Beach, 
who's going, where, what the, wait, what? This, this guy's getting his day with the cup. He's parading around. He's in the dressing room. He was all over me just whatever, a week or 10 days ago or whatever the hell it was. And he's got free will, free reign in the whole nine yards. And then, oh, yeah, okay, so then a couple weeks later, he, he resigns. And, oh, wait, what, where's everything that happened? Yeah. There's no ramifications, no fallout or nothing. He just wasn't believed. It was, in my opinion, I think that's where they first all dropped the ball. That's why I used a bullying analogy. And we can't change it, right? It, how, how many of us would love to go back there, be right in that room, right that day? Or just tell Beach, just tee off on this guy, you know? But for whatever reason, and the pressures that he succumbed to because of just a fledgling 20-year-old hoping to have a long NHL career, this is where all of these predators are able to get their hooks in, you know, in whatever realm of life. It could be Paterno and Sandusky. It could be American Gymnastics. It could be normal lives where these men and women that are the predators are able to use their hooks of power mm-hmm. over these people. And as a result, we've got this terrible tragedy that was compounded by what Chicago did after that by sending him packing with a love letter of recommendations. And he goes in, to school and, and, and uh, as a, has a teacher or video guy there and ends up assaulting the 16-year-old. And we all know the story. And this is how this whole thing unraveled. So I think, I thought Mr. Gilhooly made a really salient point. And I think if anything coming out of this, Paulie, because this is where you and I are now. Look, the horses and cows are out. The barn door is closed. You and I are talking about this on Friday here, October 29th. But what I will say is what I hope is that going forward, if anything, we're trying to get to a point where this will never happen again, right? Ideally, is that what we want to see? I've got two children, they're in their 20s, years or younger, but we don't want to ever see our children or any of their friends or subsequently their offspring ever hopefully have to deal with this, right? So what's going to, what has to come out of this is that anybody, no matter their race, color, creed, religion, or age, that comes to somebody else and says, hey, this happened, this happened. It has to be believed and needs to be immediately investigated to the nth degree. And you pray to God, it's not one of those witch hunts because they've happened and people falsely accused and the whole nine yards. But you know how you get to the bottom of that? You friggin' investigate it. Absolutely. You investigate it and you don't leave the stone unturned. You know, I know there's a cancel culture part of our society right now, and it is rampant where millions can just chime in in two seconds on their phones and want everybody shot at dawn for the whiff, the smallest whiff of allegations. But on a go forward, I'm hoping and praying that full investigations on any single time there is any allegation that full investigations are are brought forth right away. And and this is treated with the seriousness that, that it is because so many have gone on to take their lives not being able to handle what had transpired. And that far outweighs maybe if the situation, when it's all fully investigated, 
wasn't as serious as it was first reported. Let's err on the side of caution here and never make the mistake again that these Chicago, that the Chicago Blackhawk organization did. And as a result, Shovel Dayoff, I'm quite certain, will follow Quenville out the door and their reputation's tarnished forever. I mean, Quenville, an automatic lock in the Hall of Fame, ain't going to happen. Would have probably coached, who knows? I mean, at least two, three, four years. I mean, Florida's already an early favorite here for the Stanley Cup. They're undefeated, looking great. He's playing a role in it. He's the second winningest coach in NHL history behind Scotty Bowman. He got his uh, 969th win, and that's where it's going to stay forever for Mr. Joel Quenville. And, uh, you know, he's just, unfortunately, he was one of the guys in the room that um, all of them, and now it's on the players too, right? Taves, Keith, um, Patrick Kane, these guys now are having to comment on it because Beach is alleging that these guys at practice, although we didn't name anybody yet, is saying that, you know, homophobic slurs. And so they knew, you know, people knew or heard something, that something happened as to what they knew. Jonathan Tave says, look, we just didn't know. It was to, like we didn't, and, you know, the hockey mentality. And that's what needs to change too. Heard a great comment, right, from, um, it was Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall after the Bruin game, yes, um, not not last night, but two nights ago when they when they lost to Carolina and said it's an old boys club. Like we need to change the mentality of the old boys club. Well, I'm I'm an old boy. I'm from that era. I'm from that. I'm part of that club. But you've also been a coach too, and like I said, I know I don't understand. That's the thing too. The you know I mean like Beach is trying out for the NHL. My son was never that good. I coached him for 13 years. Like I can't imagine if my son or daughter. I t- you know, I had to deal with two bullying issues for each of them. My wife and I had a simple uh, structure. It was the school got the first chance to clean it up. And that was on my wife's assistance because <laughs> me being who I am, I'm looking for heads like five minutes later. But the second time, if it came back to the house, and I'm thankful that my kids brought it to me in, in all the instances, then I got involved immediately. And that I phoned parents. And I said, uh, where do you want to meet? Because we're meeting. We're going to discuss this. Oh, it wasn't my little Johnny who wouldn't do that. Yeah, he did it. And But I'll tell you what, he's not going to do it again. So mm-hmm. you're going to sit down and meet with me, and we're going to, we'll go to the school. And that's how it was handled. You know, immediate involvement. And, uh, I, again, a whole pile of people let Mr. Beach down, not the least of which is the entire Chicago organization as that filtered up and down the ranks. And, and uh, I just um, – I just hope that uh, from going forward, because at this point now, you know, we're playing the whack-a-mole game. They're just about all down, right? There's only several day off. And then, you know, may, I don't know if Mark Bergerain is going to pay a price here or not. I don't know if ultimately this will continue. There'll be fallout of the players. It does appear, Paulie, as if there might be a little bit more of the story. Rick Westhead and Katie Strang did phenomenal work like a dog on a bone, bringing this thing to the forefront. It really was those two. Uh, maybe Mr. Lazarus uh, for The Athletic, I think, as well, deserves some credit. He did a lot of great reporting on it. That really brought all of this to our attention publicly, and they deserve a lot of credit for staying on it. Not Rick Rest- Westhead's biggest fan. I think he that some of the stuff he does has been a, a, on, on, somewhat akin to a witch hunt at times, but I'll certainly give credit where it's due on this one. And... Uh, and he's dealing with his own personal issues. You know, he's got a young son fighting leukemia. 
And he still has gone on and done this type of investigative journalism is just remarkable, really, really is. So hats off, man, to all of them that did that. So we know, Paulie, and you and I can have this discussion. But, uh, you know, right now we're at a point, okay, well, let's make sure Mr. Beach and the other John Doe and this poor 16-year-old boy. But if you watched that interview with Rick Westhead on TV and you didn't, get emotional watching it. I don't know if you got blood coursing through your veins. And I just watched it as a parent more than anything. Well, that's, like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, thing, Beach yeah. was 20 years old when this happened. Like my son's 25, my daughter's 24. I just can't imagine them coming home. I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just would. Well, I'd be in jail. I'd be in jail. Like I would hunt yep. somebody down. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm mental that way. I'm not going to let anybody I, until the day I die, I will protect my children till I can't. And and uh, I just can't allow anything to, have to happen to them if I have an opportunity. And if something does, I'm going to try and write that as a serious wrong. And and I just feel so bad, so bad for Beach to go through this and the other fellas and the 16 year old. It's just it's it's my my meter has gone from extreme sadness and despair hearing the story to unbelievable anger and rage and mm-hmm. wanting to to strike out at somebody and it's it's uh it's been a tough week i think for a lot of people to have to deal with it but it's my comments on it it's how i saw it saw it play out like everybody did and i think shovel day off will follow uh quenville out the door and 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 uh slowly but surely has the civil cases are settled uh that was an amazing st- uh, comment by Beach to put on Twitter yesterday that the Hawks are still fighting them. Yeah. They're fighting them on this. Now, you better just open up the checkbook, and this is hardly going to be, um, uh, you know, be, be equivalent of what this man's pain and suffering has been for 11 years. But you better just get ready to write a, a big freaking check here and at the very least take care of uh, – that 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 moral obligation. I don't understand how. I mean, even for him to write that is what I'm like. Are you kidding me right now? Anyway, that's all. Neither here nor there for me to say. I'm no lawyer. Not. I'm not going to weigh in on that. But uh, but I just hope that uh, he he uh, he can somehow for him to go public right away, Paulie. It, it had to be some sort of cleansing for him. God willing, it was. And uh, and and hopefully for the other fella who is still anonymous and and of course a 16 year old and and God willing uh, uh, with this with 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 this coming out to the way that it has that they can all find some level of closure and some ability to move on with their lives now that it's been firmly and fully outed as to what went down. Yeah, no. Look, uh, Liam. First of all, appreciate all the commentary on this. It's um. Appreciate you opening up, and uh, and I'm with you, and I'm sure everybody else uh, along the uh, lines of anger and everything else. Look, Kyle's a he's a brave kid. He's not the only one, unfortunately. Um, no, you know, there's thousands, if not millions, of uh, kids who involved with this, you know, involved in something like this. Um, you know, I'm I'm a dad too. You know, we we hand our kids off. Uh, both my kids are in sports. We hand them off to you know coaches and administrators and. You know, that's the thing you do, and then you, 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 you hope, you know, then they're entrusted in their safety and security. And obviously, you know, the old boys club and everything else and sports. And, like, you know, going on about Coach Quemble and everything else, too, like I said, unfortunately. And, and, and these guys, their comments and Taze and Kane, you know, none of that matters, you know, in the life of Kyle Beach right now. And, and like I said, as, us as parents, too, 
you know, like I said, you, you think of his parents, uh, and it's just, it is, it's enraging. But I, he's a brave kid, and I hopefully, what he's done here in this experience uh, is going to hopefully help kids down the road. And now that we're on the other side of Quenville getting fired here, and obviously these other guys and, and Shell there, that was uh, that was pretty big for me because yesterday we didn't know it was going to happen. And I think if, yeah. if this kind of if this kind of if Bevin had a went the way of because the, the two million dollar fine is a joke too, um, but I think if Quenville had kept his job and, and they kind of had to brush this off and said, hey, look, you know, suspended him or something like that, I think that just would have been awful. Hopefully. It's not going to solve anything. Predators are still going to, you know, weave through the cracks here, and it's ultimately going to be on, you know, hopefully this just raises the threat level and the red flags um, to to everyone w- watching and reading and listening to this story as it unfolds that, you know, hopefully conditions will improve uh, for the future. And, again, uh, I, don't, I won't say this is never going to happen again, but hopefully there's fewer um, cases of this that happens down the road. And ultimately, yeah. you know, in life today, Liam, uh, not only in sports, but even <clears throat> on the political side of things in our country here, too, accountability is just, it's out the window, man. It's just not there anymore. So um, I'm the last thing I'm going to say on this, like I said, uh, as a dad, it's infuriating. I'm, I'm with you the exact same way. It's heartbreaking. It gets you angry. You know, like I said, uh, I was talking yesterday on, a show, on another show of ours, too. I mean, hey, out there, you know, you got any kind of, oh, well, mama, close your eyes. And imagine Kyle Beach is your kid. Yeah, right. that was a great comment by John Tortorella. He 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 said that, and that's so on point. I I don't know. Uh, it reminds me of uh, of that great movie there with Matthew McConaughey and uh, and Samuel Jackson there, and that great line at the end of the movie does the whole the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, court. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's close your eyes now and imagine it was a white girl, you yep. know, instead mm-hmm. of a black girl, and and uh, probably one of the one of the greatest closing scenes of any movie certainly from a powerful point of view and and i know that was you know it's just hollywood fiction but there's a lot of truth to that and because racism still sadly exists and and uh you know these things that are in our society that are being called out now more than ever and you want to you i you want you don't want to be part of the cancel culture that that wants until things full disclosure and you get full investigation like so many people want everybody shot like immediately as soon as there's a whiff of anything right and I just think as I said I use the analogy of bullying because I think it's it's really really moved in a progressive fashion the last 20 years and I would hope now that a situation like this which has been globally public news and would be something that could lead to that where you could take a situation of a big strapping young man that you would not think is going to be a victim. It's hard to conceptualize. Clearly he was, and it needs to be believed. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. It needs to be believed and bullying. Now those, when they come forth, I think it's, there's really been a seismic change there. And I think going forward, I hope and I pray, as I said, that that's the case, that no matter who it is, no matter, doesn't matter, they go to anybody and say something. And you're hoping now maybe they'll feel empowered to do so because of what's transpired here, even with all this news this week. And they'll go, damn it, you know, geez, I should say something because they're 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 because re- they're wrestling and struggling with it. 
in their own personal lives, it's been that much of an effect on them. And now say something and let's have it believed and investigated. And and because if these predators are out there, they need to be they need to be caught, apprehended, and 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 put away, or or arrested, or or curtailed, or get help, and do whatever the case, depending on the severity of the situation. So there it is, and and uh, followed probably still to come, as we know. Shovel they off today, and uh, and then who knows, right? Yep. Who knows from there if there's more to the story, or uh, or any more any more fallout uh, still to come, and and uh, we'll we'll see. I, I think. Uh, it's shed a bad light on Chicago and including the current players that are still in the league. And that would be the captain, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith have all had to answer to this. And, and now probably we'll have to maybe for a period still going forward. We'll see. So, but, uh, and the last thing, Paulie, get his name off the cup for God's sake. That's an easy fix. Exit out like they did Pocklington's old man in 88 or whatever it was, or or yep. just take a little bar and put it over, or just drill it right, do whatever. Yep. Just get his name off the cup. I mean, what is there even a discussion for about that? I do not understand. Yeah, but... They should film the damn thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, film it, doing it. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, this is, you just, it's reprehensible, right? reprehensible this guy is uh is a sadistic predator should be locked away forever and uh and and whatever and you know i would do other things it was old school but whatever and just just get him out of society and the fact that he his name be celebrated in perpetuity till that ring is on the cup uh which will be a long time yet it's just sickening sickening so uh, hopefully that gets done too. Yeah, that's all hey, I look, got, kid. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, brother. And uh, you know, everybody out there, just be be a good advocate. Look out for people. Be a good people. Be a good person. See something. Help help the cause. Help people out. And um and talk. All that stuff. It's incredibly important. Well done, my friend. Well done, my friend. All right. Let's transition into something that you want to bring back here at Sticks and Taps. And that's this day in hockey. Yeah. Some numbers. All right. Turn that yeah. up over there, mate. What are you playing over there? Look at your man with the whistle. Look at him. He's going nuts over there. Woohoo! Oh man. Ah, oh, that's all. That's Noel McGinty over there. <laughs> that was my dad's name. <laughs> Noel. Noel Patrick McGuire, born and raised in Dublin. He was a dub. Oh, let me tell you, I can see him. I can see Noel McGinty there, your man down at the end of <laughs> Gus O'Connor's pub right now. Just Flew in one side of his mouth and a, and, a, and a pipe in the other corner of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I can see them there and the, they're just getting ready to, to have a whole hoot and nanny and they're going to get the gang going. But uh, yeah, this day in hockey, I want to keep doing these, Polly, on the once a week. It just falls on October 29th and... I don't want to talk for half an hour about a bunch of stuff. I mean, um, Gordie Howe got his 1,000th assist on, on this day in, in 1970 on, on a goal scored by Alex Delvecchio, who scored his 400th goal on this day in 1970 in the same game. And I think that's pretty cool. But, I mean, the thing that is um, is neat, the All-Star games as we know them, and they're, they're much maligned today because of their 
they're such a non-hitting affair and, and, and it's really only a big deal for the whole city. And they've tried to make them entertaining with the, the three on three format and the, and the money and the teams and everything else. And such as it is, <coughs> excuse Bless me, you, sir. Bless sorry, you. brother. Oh, that's, that's, the, that. that's the Lord on high. Just making sure you're yeah, still you alive. Know he, he knows <laughs> that I'm past due for this shot of whiskey that I'm going to take, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. But, but on this day in NHL history, October 29th, 1939, the NHL had what most people think was their second All-Star game. It was actually their third because so few people realize there was an All-Star game played right before the first NHL game ever was played in 1917 because of the terrible explosion in the Halifax harbor that claimed lives and tremendous amount of damage it was a munitions uh, on on a boat that blew up in the harbor first world war was on right and and it was a terrible catastrophe so uh the a number of nhl players who were all set to start play in this brand new league called the national hockey league gathered to play a game to raise funds for the victims. That was the first NHL All-Star game. There was an All-Star game before that in 1908 for Hod Stewart, who had died suddenly. And, and that was the very first ever hockey All-Star game. Then you had the first one in the NHL in 1917. You had the second one. Excuse me, Babe Sieberts was the fourth. The second one for... Ace Bailey, the third one for Howie Morenz, and the fourth one on this date in 1939 for Babe Siebert. So the Albert original Babe. All-Star games were almost like fundraisers? They were all fundraisers. Wow. The NHL never went. So what they did was they took the concept of those games in 1917, 1934, and 1937 for the uh, the Halifax situation the Ace Bailey game after Eddie Shore ended his career with a hit from behind in December 33. They had an all-star game in February 34. And then for Howie Morenz for his, his sad and untimely passing from an embolism in 1937. Montreal Canadian retired his number. They had an all-star game. Again, all raising funds for the family. Same thing for Babe Siebert, who drowned. He drowned in the offseason in Lake Huron, I believe it was. Uh, he had just been named coach of the Montreal Canadiens, the previous Hart Trophy winner. He's a multi-multi-year all-star in the National Hockey League. And his two daughters had gone out on an inflatable, and they'd gone too far from shore, and he they couldn't get back. And he swam out to try and save them. Unfortunately, he went out too far himself, and he went under. They couldn't get to him in time, and he drowned. You know, they never found his body. Oh, and and uh, they did a... Uh, a memorial, you know, and here's, here's, you want to talk, this is 1939, it's a long time ago, they had the game on this date, but his wife, uh, Babe's wife, had been paralyzed from the waist down when she gave birth to their second child, I mean, just complications from childbirth in the 1930s, you know, and, and so she was paralyzed, so anyways, they did a couple of fundraising efforts, including a game on this day where the All-Stars beat the Montreal Canadiens uh, 5-2. They called the NHL team the dream team. It was led by just an inc 
incredible defense. Guys like Eddie Shore, Art Wiseman, these types of players, Bill Cowley, all, all these stars, the Krautline, these guys all played in the game, and they raised a lot of money, thankfully. They raised what would be the equivalent today of $254,000 wow. in, in, in this one game. Now, you would say, okay, if you did this something today and it was a serious scenario, you would raise probably a million if you needed it, right? But I mean, by equivalent standards, it was a little over $15,000 in 1939 would be about 200, 255 grand today. Big chunk of dough. And and it was and and they had done something previous as well. So I wanted to give it a shout out, even though all these men are obviously long gone and anybody associated with that event are long gone. But the fact is that that was the last game before the NHL went to an official all-star game format post-Second World War in 1947. And that started basically what we see, what loosely what we see today. It's still called an all-star game. The format of it is still get the best players together, do something in a competitive environment. It all had its origin back in the day with those fundraising games. The Hodge Stewart one, the Halifax Munitions Explosion, the Ace Bailey, the Howie Morenz, and on today's date in 1939, the Babe Siebert. So there you go. Little this day in hockey for you, courtesy of uh, Liam McGuire. (laughs) Great stuff. And now look at it today, man. To think that back then they were helping raise money. You're playing the All-Star game now. They're giving you money. You you win a car, you know, the whole nine yards. What a trip. You know, the first MVP, the first All-Star ever, uh, to, to when they, they started, hey, you know, we should have an MVP of the game. And it was in uh, 1963. You know who it was? It was Eddie Shack. No way. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Shack was the first All-Star MVP, but he didn't get a car. No. <laughs> he didn't get a car. I don't know what he got, actually. I, he got a I think he got back. a watch. <laughs> I think he got a watch, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I think the cars... The cars came in in the uh, 1980s because Gretzky won so many, right? He was giving them away. And he, he gave his last one to Dave Semenko. It's a great story. He won MVP in his last game. He gave the car to Dave Semenko, who had protected him there in his early years in the NHL. But uh, Wayne gave a bunch of them away. But, uh, no, it's good stuff, man. Uh, All-Star. And there's a lot of other history in and around the All-Star games. And, you know, for many years, it was the defending Stanley Cup champions would play. Uh, collection of all-stars they did that for a couple of years they tried okay we'll play the first team all-stars against the second team all-stars and we'll just fill up the rosters from there they tried that they you know for a period of five years they had North American players versus the world and uh, they they canceled that after five years anyways there's been a number of different formats and I I always watch it but uh, I I always obviously I mean uh, Babe Sievert's game was many years ago but I thought it was pretty cool let me ask you this. Obviously, we'll wrap the segment up here, too, with the All-Star game. But when you think about all the different uh, presentations of the game, and they've tried to, to tweak it, obviously, in the last 10, 15 years here with, you know, they used to do North America versus the world and all yeah. that other stuff. Um, do you – see, like, I'm an old-school kind of guy, you know, obviously, 70s and 80s kid, whatever. I mean, I, I miss the old, you know, the – you know, the conferences playing each other, and I just remember all the guys wearing the, you know, the, the, the colors of the NHL, the stars on the jerseys and stuff. Yeah. The old, the old days. Which, which version, do you have a preference or whatever? Like, I, I love the old All-Star games of, like, the 80s, before they started tinkering with everything in the 90s, with the jerseys. And well, it, what happened was when, 
like when full salary disclosure came out in the 90s and everybody knew what everybody else was making and salary started to skyrocket. And that was really one of the seismic changes, uh, you know, in, in the game period. Uh, some guys all start, stopped hitting. If you see any video from those 70s games, I tell people all the time that game in Detroit that Gordy Howe played in um, at the Joe Lewis Arena in 1980, I believe ended 3-2. You watch the last five minutes of that game. It may as well be Game Seven, of the Stanley Cup Final. <laughs> I mean, it was unfreaking believable. Guy Lafleur got absolutely rocked. What year with was a, this? With a, 1980. 1980. I mean, the, the the games in the 80s. You had overtime games. There were low scoring games. It was none of this stuff that ended up like 16, 13, and 17, 12, and all this stuff that came in the 90s. They started, you know, three goalies, and then they brought in the skills competition. That was kind of fun because you know it was great to see guys being able to shoot the puck like they did. And we could see some accuracy shooting, what Ray Bork did, and Ally Afraidy with the slap shot, the wood stick, and all that stuff. It was kind of cool when it first came out, but it's just lost its luster. So I give them credit with what they've done right now, putting up at least the money you get in that final game. And it is competitive in the sense that at least it's a format now that we're used to seeing in the overtime because we see the three-on-three, three and there's virtually no hitting in that. And there is some defense played as much as you can, but... We've all seen multiple, multiple, multiple overtime games in the NHL right now where it's just end-to-end, incredible, ridiculous action, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's, that's been entertaining. So they've taken that and, and, and they've got that in the All-Star game. And, and I think in that sense, at least we're seeing something that resembles what we see in terms of regular hockey today. And that's been probably the best change. I was, I was more than okay with North America versus the world. I don't, I don't know why that was crapped on to the extent that it was i remember it's funny we had a guy a writer up here uh, sort of the tail end of a long-standing kind of a feud i had with the guy because he wrote that the the world players will never get a win in this format because the europeans are so much more vastly skilled which was really he was taking a shot at canada and he's a canadian and he was really taking a shot at Canadian hockey, which he basically did for most of his adult life anyway. That's another story. But him and I are now friends. And uh, back then we weren't. And I, I took him to task on that. And then uh, it's a great story because Canada, we're losing 3 nothing. Canada. Team North America. There was lots of Americans on the team as well. We're losing to Team Euro, Team World there. Three nothing, and the players. There was mics on the bench, and Mark Messier had said, "Hey, hey, these guys think it's a real game here, boys. So let's 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 get it going." And Team North America came back to win. I believe it was eight seven in that first of five games, and we ended up winning three out of the five that were played. And then they abandoned the format. I personally liked it. I thought they were going somewhere with it. The game was going to be a no hitter anyway. But you had guys that were all of a sudden there was a little bit of pride on the line. I don't know why it was nixed as quickly as it was after five years. I got to tell you. I, that was a format that myself personally, I, I had no problem with. You just but, love uh, the North Americans. I think Americans. what they got right now is okay. You just love the North Americans. Beating the Russians. That's all. Well, you don't get it. Probably any time the Russians lose at anything, it's a good day. That's a good day. You know? JFK backed them all down. <laughs> oh good oh, stuff right he backed them all down <laughs> you turn those boats around you son of a bitch <laughs> too much see uh mark's got a book out now mess you're gonna get that one 
Yeah, I'm going to get it. I, I'll get it for sure. I'm, I'm a fan. I hated what happened with him in Vancouver, and I, I wish he had a state and finished in New York, you know? Uh, I mean, he they Me they too, went on buddy. such a good run in 97. They went to the semifinals. It was Wayne Swan song, and Mark should have stayed. And he went for the money, and uh, I think it was disastrous. Him like Because they had to give him 11, even though it was never formally retired for Wayne Mackey. Nobody had worn it on Vancouver since Mackey's untimely demise in 1973 from a brain hemorrhage. And he was the guy in the stick-swinging fight with Ted Green in 69, you can't tell me it didn't play a role in in what led to maybe something that happened to to his brain and his head, and he died four years later. And nobody wore eleven on Vancouver until Messier got there. And I know, uh, you had Messier, I guess, had to take eleven, but no, he didn't really. You know, he could have taken another number. So I hated that, and I just think the whole rest of his time there in Vancouver, he was just cashing a paycheck. And I'm one of his biggest fans. I love the guy as a player. How could you not? The 87 Canada Cup, game three, you could make the case, the three greatest games ever played in September of 87, you could make the case that game turned on a Messier hit on Krutov on, on a delayed offside when he knocked that fire hydrant over. Nobody, nobody could knock that guy off his skates until Messier hit him in game three. And we came back to win that game, 6-5, as we all know, Wayne DiMario. And Messier played so well in that series and that game as well. I'm a huge fan. I will write, read the book. I'm just disappointed that he left New York, your Rangers, and, uh, and, and ran off to, uh, to Vancouver. Uh, and uh, I think anybody that is a Canuck fan hated it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to open up a can of worms here. Maybe we'll talk about it in length down the road. But I think, I really think Gretzky coming to the Rangers pushed Mess out. I think that's why he went to Vancouver. I think uh, as much right. as I love Wayne and him coming here and his little stint here too. And like I said, I don't want to open up a can of worms here because I'm a big Moose fan. But I think when Wayne came here, I was like, this is not something, something it's not going to work. You know, and, and then Mark left, and Jesus, man, I was just, are you kidding me? What he had done for the franchise. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I yeah. was, you know, I, like I said. 94 I, I, was on his back, and, and uh, as great as Brian Leach and Zuboff were, and, 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 and you know, ob- obviously Richter and, and, and uh, so many others played so well. Mato, Mato, Mato. I mean, you had, you, had, you had dramatic moments. You had a great final against Vancouver. You had... You know the comeback against New Jersey. You go up and down the line. It was it was a year. It was a year for the Ranger generation, right? I mean, they erased 1940, and and you got you got something that you can cherish forever. And it's, uh, you know, they're starting to look good again too. They're coming around. We didn't really talk about your your squad much there today. You gave That's me a good early. opportunity with my house. Yeah, but, uh, easy now. It's early. I do yeah, love, I know. I, know. I love Gallant, I but it's early, buddy. They, I know. I'm Coach Sutter and the boys came in there and whipped them up pretty good the other night. So, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. But hey, look at. I mean, Pittsburgh hadn't lost. They got waxed. Calgary looked like I, I'm not. I thought they made a huge mistake in Daryl Sutter. And, and like I said, it's early. It's early. But you know, I got proven big time wrong when Jim Rutherford went back to Pittsburgh. I said, what a step back they have made. And they turn around, win back-to-back Stanley Cups with him as a GM in his late 60s. I, I just never saw that. Never thought that as He's a possibility. I'm not trying to be an ageist in that sense. But I just felt that 
just his removal of the game, even though he had been in Carolina and that was in 06 and that wasn't that long ago. I just thought you're going backwards. This isn't a guy that gets it. And <laughs> now I may be eating that with Daryl Sutter as well. We'll see. I know nobody's even played 10 games yet. So uh, I'm going to Liam. I know. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. <laughs> Let's talk about Belfast. Yes. Turn the jukebox back on here. Woo. All right. Before we hit to our, uh, Irish toast and close the pub here at Sticks and Taps. Yeah. Hold on. Liam uh, reached out to me the other day and he made me aware of this brand new movie that's coming out called Belfast. It's going to be released on November 12th. And, um, Let me get ready here, Molly. Yeah, it, it looks dead. brilliant. Oh. Now, see, I played at Jameson's Pub last night in Rockaway Beach, New York. That's why I'm and doing it. Liam's this. got the old big bottle. That's a that's a double XL bottle of Jameson's he's holding up. Double shot. I just we got we got to get this show to video soon. I got to get my act together here. So he's all ready. But anyway, uh, the movie Belfast is coming out November twelfth. It looks like it's uh, it's been filmed brilliantly. Uh, you got to check out the trailer. It's available there on YouTube. And uh, obviously, it's about the about the beginning of what's known in Ireland and Northern Ireland as the start of the troubles. Yeah. Uh, there's a great book on that too. I have one of them. It's uh, it's fascinating, brutal what happened back though, you know, back in those days with the IRA and everything else. But um, it looks great, and uh, I'm going to turn this back to you and your thoughts on it, there, Liam. But uh, in the trailer, there's a fantastic line, and the girl yeah. turns around to the the one of the and she says, "The Irish were born for moving, otherwise." The rest of the world wouldn't have Irish pubs. And yeah, just <laughs> boom. It just Magic. hits home. It is amazing, and because uh, if you think I about it, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. That line is true, man. It's true. It's so true, and and uh, I bet you it's one of probably many. The trailer just looks unbelievable. And my son sent it to me. My son Rory, Patrick McGuire. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, (laughs) he sent it to me and I, I messaged him back. I said, you know, what's ironic about this son is, um, is we, as a family, we were in Belfast in 1968. It was my first trip over and, and, uh, my, my parents, uh, took the three of us over and first time on a plane and and we flew in Belfast. Why Belfast? Why did your dad take us there? Because they had my, my dad's best friend, uh, certainly my mom's definitely, was a man named Albert McFarlane who had come from Belfast to Canada and had settled in the Quebec area and, and in, a, in and around the village of Stoneham where my mom grew up. And uh, this guy, I'm telling you, Paulie, uh, there's just not enough time in a show that I could tell you just how amazing this guy was. He was a character. He was on the Northern Ireland boxing team in his youth. Um, he was strong, strong, built like a fire hydrant, fantastic sense of humor, a dry wit, incredibly intellectual, <laughs> really loved a good time, like <laughs> legendary, absolutely legendary. And him and my father met when my father showed up on the scene and ended up dating my mother. And, uh, they, they became fast friends and had their home, their own history together. And, and, uh, and when so he lived in a subdivision of of Belfast, an area uh, called Lisburn, and uh, and in it an area called Hillside Gardens, essentially, and and that's where they resided for decades, right through until they passed away 
both of them, uh, Albert and his wife, not not that long ago after living long and, and very healthy and very productive lives. But so we were in Belfast the year before in 1968 and we got some pictures actually on their house. We were we were on streets that were, you know, we, we were there. We were right there. And so I'm really, really interested because it's so on that time period, which is we all know, as you just so succinctly put it, the start of the Troubles essentially coming the next year in 69 and Bernadette Devlin. And, were you wearing the old brown shoes, the, the, the white socks you know what? below I, the knees, I tell you what. the short little shorts and the suspenders? <laughs> you know what we did have? I'll tell you what we had. What my parents had purchased for me would have probably been my mother. But we actually had the the uh, the Aaron Island uh, knitted sweaters, the beautiful yeah. white sweaters, oh, all yeah. three of us, myself, my brothers, Mike and Sean. And we flew over. There's pictures of us on the plane, and we're all wearing them. We wore them almost everywhere over there. I think we almost wore them out. But, uh, <laughs> boy, I'll tell you, um, I I do have very vivid memories of that trip. And we spent it primarily in and around the Dublin area. But we did travel up to the north, and we were in Belfast. And that's why I think, uh, I'm among so many other reasons that I will enjoy this movie, but it will be interesting to see how they portray the time period back on streets in and around where we were just a year before in real life. I think that's pretty cool. I guess kind of a testament to the fact I'm, you know, getting a little older, <laughs> been around, you know, in terms of chronological timelines and stuff. But the fact I was there, I think is, uh, you know, is, is pretty cool. And I, of course I went back to Belfast after that too. You know, I went there on my honeymoon in 1994 really? and we, yeah, we stayed I've with I've never Albert. been there. What's it like? Well, it's beautiful. It's, uh, I mean, there was a ceasefire on, so we were able to travel in the city. Otherwise, we wouldn't have. All the towers were still there when you traveled into the north. You had to stop your car. I mean, there were there. There's no doubt about it. They were they watched us. They were watching my wife and I. Um, we came out of. My wife refused to stay in a bed and breakfast. She was so scared. Uh, didn't want to be stuck in countryside anywhere. She was so fearful. And I said, "Listen, no one's going to hunt us down here." But, you know, at the end of the day, we came out of one of the little motels that we stayed in in the north before we arrived in Belfast to spend the night with Albert and his wife, Marie, Maury. Um, I came out the next day. I went out the back door to take our suitcases and put them in our rental car. And I opened that door and there was a British Army soldier standing right there with wow. the biggest gun I have ever seen still to this day in my life. I don't even know how he could carry it. It was so big. And he was standing right beside my car. Incredible. Now, I don't care That's what anybody real, man. says. This, they knew who I was because my license plate would have been run when I crossed into the border. Yeah. They would have seen this car was rented in Dublin by a Canadian named McGuire. Yeah. At least my dad, anyway, was convinced that at that point they would have had surveillance on me the whole time. Yeah. I was in the north. And I believe it. Yeah. I, I 100% believe it. We had another incident when we were driving. Liz and I went on this. We said, we got two weeks. We're going to rent a car after we did the we did the three days in Dublin with the relatives. Then we were heading out to hit the countryside. I said, we'll end up where we end up. Mm -hmm. I got a map. Let's just go. There's two or three things we need to see. Other than that, let's just drive the countryside. You can drive top to bottom in the country unless, it, you know, I mean, it's yeah. it's a, not a big country, <laughs> not like driving across Canada. So, you know, uh, I said, wherever we end up, we end up. And we were in the north. We went down this little road. It was a red pickup truck right in the middle of the road. So I had to stop. 
So I go, maybe he needs help. So I get out. And he gets out. So I'm, I walk over. He's walking over. Going, he doesn't look like he needs any help. So I start getting a little nervous. And he says, uh, where are you going? I said, well, we're just going to drive down this road. He said, uh, no. Wow. No, you're, you're going to go that way. And I said, well, you know, it's funny. Now that you mention it, I was just thinking that'd probably be a good way to go. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I wasn't getting into it with him, Polly. There was somebody yeah. sitting inside the cab. He got out in a very threatening manner. Mm-hmm. And I just went back to Liz and I said, uh, we're going to have to change our plans today and go that way. <laughs> wow. And so no my dad's convinced there was uh, surveillance on me the whole time that we spent in the north. We were only there three days in the north. Mm-hmm. We spent the rest of the time in the south. But um, so we went up to Belfast. You know what? It went by the Bobby Sands Memorial, the mural. Uh, we went by H Block. There was, um, it was, it was scary stuff as ceasefire was on. And, uh, thankfully a lot of that, uh, sadly, there's been a few, a few incursions in the last little while, but it's not like it was. And I think the movie will be, uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, uh, it should be, the trailer looks spectacular. Uh, you and I have a personal connection to that country and certainly a lot of knowledge of those times, but I think it's going to be quite something to see. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's going to be brilliant. Um, I, um, my cousin John and his family uh, live up in Sligo. That's as far north as I got. Yeah. And I, when I was, you know, in my early 20s, I think we've talked about this on the show in the past. I went over there in, you know, late uh, 80s and early 90s. So I would go back and forth with the family. And then I went back and forth by myself a couple of times. And, um, yeah, I just remembered, you know, John, he was, he was, he was dating a Protestant girl. And it was still not, you know. They kind of had to keep the relationship hidden, you know. And this yep. is, you know, this is still early '90s, so it's, it's, it's real as hell up there, you know. And um, yeah, but I tell you what, man, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm listening here talking about Belfast and Northern Ireland, and man, we we have to at least, you know, uh, bring uh bring some of the good music, man. <laughs> there he man, is, man. Yeah. Oh. Look at that, baby. Like it's time for a change. Dude, I could, I could, I could spend a day listening to Van. Yeah. Yeah. Nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Absolute classic uh, singer-songwriter in uh, Ireland, born and raised. And uh, just, I mean, some of the documentary uh, documentaries from uh, the 60s music and stuff and his start in and around with Dylan and some of the some of the stuff he was doing then and, and before he got real big. It's uh, it's amazing to see and just a fantastic artist. I'm a, I'm a huge fan for obvious reasons, but I just <laughs> genuinely love the music, too. And and uh, yeah, it'd be uh, be great to spend a day listening to that with you, brother. Oh, man. What a what an amazing uh, songwriter! All right, mate, great stuff. So everybody, go check out uh, Belfast the movie when it comes out. So here's the deal: before we do our Irish toast, as we traditionally do here on Sticks and Taps, I found something online that I want to share with everybody. Okay, yeah. now uh, last Saturday, my brother, my younger brother, thirteen years younger than me, is uh, finally going to walk down the aisle with his uh, beautiful fiance, Karen. And they're getting married down in New Orleans. So we're all uh, flying down to New Orleans here uh, in December, first week. And we had the lads' dinner. 
as we do. We had all the boys out. We went out to dinner. We had a fantastic night. Um, I met all my brother's mates, uh, best friends, just a great, great bunch of guys. Uh, we had a great night, just uh, amazing dinner. And, you know, uh, and then what I did is we all sat around and stuff, right? So I'm the older guy here, and I had all the guys were sitting down. They were in conversation, but we were getting down towards the end of the night, and I turned to everybody and said, all right, guys, one at a time, everybody get up and say a few words about Sean, you know? And, you know, American, you know, they're all different, and we have all different uh, races, you know, uh, colors. You know, my brother's very, all his friends are very diverse. It's great. Um, and all, you know, my brother's a big hockey guy. His hockey teammates were there. So it was just an amazing mix of guys and stuff. Awesome. So, but you could see the look in their faces, though. What? They weren't used to that kind of a thing. Nobody expected that they were going to get up and have to say anything, right? So long story short, they got up and and they went around and it it was fantastic because they all brought up memories. And at this point now, the goggles full in them. And it was just, um, it was some, it was a magic moment and was happy for my brother because uh, some great stuff was said about him. So. Um, with that said, I found this online the other day and, you know, me and Liam and anybody out there, you know, obviously Irish and, uh, listen to this show and whether it's sing songs or hanging around, going to an Irish party, there's always somebody there that, uh, you, you get a laugh, uh, a joke or something. But anyway, as, as opposed to the toast, the Irish toast that we do here, uh, we want you guys to listen to this. Uh, this is a, a pre- pre-marriage, uh, toast here. It's a couple of lads over in Ireland. You have to listen very closely uh, it's brilliant. It's just a, a, a minute and 30 here, but just have a listen, everybody, and then we'll raise our glasses as itself. Here we go. You are married! Oh. Am I lying? Yeah! They didn't serve pints! Oh. Only buckets! Yeah! There was only one barman! Oh. For every man! Yeah! Get on there. The guy's Ah! She was wearing glasses. Ah! And not that Yes! 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 Oh. 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 It, he's, it, there's a lot of slang. Thick Irish, yeah. The, Thick the Irish accent, accent is strong. Find it on YouTube. Paul, like Paulie says, it's 90 seconds long. It is funny as hell. It's a group of about, what, 15, 18 guys at least. Yeah, Big young guys, of them. yeah. yeah. And young guys, clearly pre-wedding group. And, uh, and it's, and it's uh, you know, oh, fat, real bad news. And then, oh, no, real good news. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. She stuff. caused a fiver, but I had a tenner. Yeah, <laughs> they sent me to jail, but it was full of hookers. Ah, <laughs> uh, great stuff. All right, buddy, let's fire up some whiskey in the jar here. And as we always do, we wrap up sticks and tap with the Irish toast. Liam, yes, 
What do you have today, sir? I'm 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 toasting uh, Mr. Beach all day today, and uh, the other John Doe and the young lad. I think uh, the very least I'm going to do is uh, offer a thought, a uh, memory, and uh, and a hope that they're able to find some closure and uh, and move on with their life. So uh, in in to to their health and welfare, uh, I toast them with this today. And I'll second that, and I'll also toast all of those who stand up and stand for those who have been abused. Stand up for them, too. Cheers, mate. Great stuff. Woo! Woo! Delicious. Delicious, indeed. We'll let this roll there a little bit. I know this is one of your favorite songs, Aileen. Always whiskey in the jar at McGuire's house. I tell you that much. <laughs> you got that right, brother. Woo! All right. Another fantastic session here with me, mate, Liam McGuire. We want to thank everybody who's been listening and subscribing. We see you out there, man. We appreciate your audience. It's, it's been great. We're uh, so glad to be doing this here again. Um, and we appreciate your interaction and your support of us here. So, Liam, with that said... We'll wind this down, and we'll go out on a high note. Go on there, Mr. McGuire. Say to the loops to the lads and lasses out there. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Good day. Good day. Hit them hard today, Liam. Go on. Woo. Sticks and Taps is out. Follow us everywhere. Sticks and Taps. And follow me and Liam as well on the Twitter. We'll see you out there. Good luck and stay healthy.